Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. We had a lot of success with one of our earlier episodes with just the two guys bouncing stuff back and forth and letting me jump in uh, to uh, to add some flavor to the show. No guests today, uh, but we're in for a good one. we got a lot of topics we want to cover. Uh, guys, welcome back to your show. Great to be back. Thanks, Dave. I think yeah. it'll be a good show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I told you guys the last time, It's uh, you guys are great with a guest, and you're uh, just as good, if not better, without one. Uh, I love hearing you guys go back and forth. But uh, just quick to our audience, we are just a shade under 20,000 right now. We should jump to it by the time this show is over. Just keep download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us uh, continue to grow our numbers, and we can keep giving you great content on all of our platforms every week here, like Mark and Will do with their show. So 72 countries, we appreciate your loyalty. We'll keep providing a great content. All of our shows are based on what you guys want. So with that, um, episode 221, we'll get rolling with it. Uh, Mark, where do you want to start today? Well, I thought I thought the subject of uh, things we wish to know, we would have known earlier in our career. Um, you know, I, you know, we've we've got a lot of different ideas on it, and there's also some caveats to. Uh, to some of them. And I think that uh, Will and I will have enough stories and situations uh, to kind of explain the way we feel about stuff. Um, the first one I would open up with would be uh, to be open for new ideas. Um, I've got a quote from uh, Will Smith that says, forget about the reasons why you won't work and believe the one reason why it will. So I think that, you know, you have to be open-minded um, you know, to new ideas, uh, you know, I've worked with enough pitchers over my 52 year career to know that, you know, you run into these guys that don't want to change anything, even though what they're doing isn't working or some of the things they're doing aren't working. Um, and they're very closed minded about it, whether it's their own brain or whether they feel like they have somebody they get information from that, that, uh, makes them shy away from believing in anybody else or any other ideas. Um, but there's also the factor that you, you got to know what you're good at. You know, you don't want to be changing everything. I think, uh, you know, guys do that a lot in today's world uh, with some of the analytical um, information that is given out. Guys forget what they're good at and they start to try to perform to to numbers and to to analytics and, uh, and they go down a, a rabbit hole. So, you know, um, I'm going to pass it to Will cause I think Will's got an interesting recent story about a player that he saw in the minor leagues. Yeah. It's a, it's a younger, younger right-handed starting pitcher who's coming off of a, a pretty good year last year at the low a ball level as a 22 year old. And, uh, he wasn't a hard thrower, but he knew how to pitch. He's, he was a strike thrower. Um, his velocity range was like 89 to 92, but he commanded the ball with some movement. He had a decent, uh, you know, probably an average slider and changeup that went with it. And uh, I'm sure somewhere along the line, someone told him that, you know, 89 to 92 is not a hard enough thrower now in today's game. Uh, the pitcher that I saw uh, just recently is 
probably 25 pounds muscular heavier. Um, his velocity is now touching 95, but he actually throws strikes at 92, um, which is probably only maybe a mile per hour harder in the strike zone. Uh, the, you know, the balls he's throwing 95 aren't even competitive pitches. Um, his slider's not as good. Um, he's over, he's muscling that up. He's muscling everything up that he does. Um, he's doubled his walk total. His ERA is now 10 and he's one in six or one in seven coming off of a year where, you know, he was nine and two with a three, a low three, very respectable ERA as a young pitcher that knew how to pitch. And there was, uh, there seemed to be a, a level of uh, importance for him to command and mix his pitches well, and he's lost all that chasing chasing velocity. And um, it's it's not a be all end all to be a good pitcher. Uh, there's other things that are so much more important. How much of that? And you guys are around it twenty four hours a day. You know, I, I see it. I did, you know, I saw it at the college level as I was transitioning out, and I see it a lot with the grassroots. These kids, and, and the coaches you mentioned too, they're they're not high agency, which means they figure it out. You know, they get indoctrinated very easily. They yeah. don't find them to be first principle where they have their own original thoughts. They're usually fed from a spoon or a tube through, you know, whether it's social media or whatever it be. And uh, very few self-teachers anymore, which is how we all learned the game for the most part. We had coaches around us, but we had to teach ourselves things how much of that plays into this uh you know i mean here's a kid who had success it's not like he didn't have success he had success and all of a sudden just decides to just throw it throw it out and you know uh like i'll quickly comment you know as a kid of being a young pitcher and young baseball player i copied guys that i loved you know i i grew up in the philadelphia area i tried to throw like steve carlton um and but I caught in copying his delivery, there were fundamentals in his delivery that were outstanding. You know, he had that leg kick that kept him over the rubber a long time. Uh, he was online. He was through the ball. He had good extension. So I was trying to copy all of those things before I knew what any of those things were. Um, you know, same as a young hitter. You know, I uh, I looked up to to, to – to guys like Greg Luzinski and tried to copy him or as a younger person, uh, Roberto Clemente, which I couldn't do because I was nowhere near the athlete that he was. But, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, like you said, Dave, so much on social media is poisoning our society. Um, you know, people are getting hired. I've shared people shared stories with me where, you know, an organization hired a hitting coach, not because he knew what he was doing, because he had 25,000 followers on Twitter was what the farm director said. So he must be good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that that to me was one of the most insane things I've ever heard. So, Influence over excellence. That's the, the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dave, you, you made a really good point about, you know, the way <laughs> the teachers are being taught and. You know, my big thing is where's the organizational leadership? Um, if they're the same guy, if they're getting all their information, you know, off YouTube and, and through analytical data, um, 
and nothing in real time, nothing they've ever experienced. Uh, they don't have people close to them that, that have been there, done that. And uh, they need to know what's important. Sure, some of these new things are all right. But, but like you said, you know, when you don't have experience, you're not around experienced people that know what the progression is supposed to be when you're teaching things. And you just jump in and pile on all this analytical data onto a guy and you're trying to get him to throw harder or, or launch angle or whatever it happens to be. That's a big mistake because these guys were signed for a reason. And that's why I always pushed for our young signees uh, when they showed up in, in uh, short A seasons. I said, we don't teach them anything. Other than, and if there's a red flag where you think they're going to get hurt, you send it up to the, the leadership and we'll determine whether we need to start working on it right now. But my belief was we need to see what the scout saw to begin with the guy. You know, there's nothing worse than getting a call from a scout who says, what would you do with my guy? I said, he had a beautiful swing. Now what's happened? And he just, he's only been there two weeks. You know, that's somebody sometimes trying to put their own brand on it or it's a or it's a leadership thing to where you don't have people that understand that principle. Yeah, I, you, you know, I'll, I'll weigh in on that, Mark. And you were our pitching coordinator in 1986. We took Doug Sinella in the fourth round out of Seton Hall University and I was the pitching coach, and I had had some of the kids in extended spring, so I was doing different things with them. And I know you remember this, Doug, uh, two of his first three starts, he threw no hitters in the New York Penley. Um, and our philosophy with the Orioles was exactly what Mark said, that the scout that signed you thought that what you were doing and who you were athletically and your God-given ability was enough for you to pitch or play in the big leagues. And you were going to go out and take that out, and then we would evaluate where you are. So, you know, Doug, Doug threw his two no-hitters and, and his first three starts, and he was having a decent year. And I was working with other guys, and he's going, how come you never work with me? And I go, well, first of all, you throw a no-hitter every game. And, you know, would you really listen and change anything, Doug? I said, right now, you're pitching well. And there are things that pro you're going to have to make adjustments, but you're going to be an instructional league, and that's that'll be the time and place to do that. It's, it's you know, um, you know, and, and you know, ju just where, what we were talking about earlier is like, you know, people – People uh, now will take shortcuts where everybody throws from the stretch. Nobody can pitch from the windup anymore. You know, we're taking away all the athleticism that guys used to be able to create balance, rhythm, and timing as pitchers and hitters to be good baseball players. And now we're taking all, all that away and trying to clone everybody out and kind of teaching everybody the same thing where it's, Forcing spin fastballs at the tops, uh, sweeping breaking ball shapes, and, and 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 we're losing sight of all the intricacies and other things in the game. You know, that's you know, those are good points, and 
you know, there's there's a, a balance to everything. And and if you if you don't have balance with yourself or the leadership that's over you, uh, you run into problems. Right. Um, I think another thing that uh, I wish I would have um, known a little bit more about or, or experimented with more in my early in my career was uh, uh, experimenting more on my own. You know, like when you're, you know, you learn so many things. I learned a lot of things deeper into my career, you know, maybe being with more experienced players and they would show me their grips or we would try different things when we were playing catch. And you can't imagine how many guys have learned things that got them to be established major leaguers just playing catch with guys and figuring out that they were able to do it. Wasn't um, you know? Wasn't Mariano Rivera's cutter was developed out of playing catch in the outfield, right? Uh, yeah, I believe you're right. You I know, you're right. know where he kind of cut the ball a little bit, and somebody said, "Hey, if you do this," and all of a sudden, when he did it, the guy who was playing catch with him went, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's just that you know it doesn't hurt you to experiment a little bit, and then you can go to your coaches and say, "Hey, listen." I did. What do you think of this? Look at this. You know, look how much my ball's sinking. And I just changed my grip to this. You know, yeah. I learned as much from players as I did from anybody. I learned when I was coaching, I learned from players. I learned, you know, how guys threw their cutter and their grips, different grips. And so when I'm teaching, let's say if I'm teaching a cutter to someone, I know what to look for. I know what exper- what different experiments we can do that might fit that guy, um, and uh, and that's important because I you know I know I've I've taught it I've taught the I've taught the Buddy Black cutter <laughs> that I yeah. learned from him when I was coaching with the Indians when he pitched for me, you know yeah. I've learned other guys change ups I've learned different because not everything there's a lot of subtle changes and there's some dramatic ones that. Very few people can do, and you know I've taught it and said, "Well, hold the ice, and I can't do this, but hold the ball like this and see what happens." And the guy goes, "Oh, that feels great," and the bottom's falling out of it, and I'm going, "Yeah, I guess his hands are the right size or whatever for that grip." Yeah. But if you don't experiment, you you never find any of these things. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a quote from Garrison Wynn that says, "Action and adaptability create opportunity." So you don't get that that. Uh, adaptability if you don't if you don't experiment yeah i you know i we had ray miller and i think we've talked about ray and people we've had on here have talked about him and you know he was a longtime veteran minor league pitcher who had experimented with a lot of different things and he he always encouraged that you know hey you know hold the ball across the seams this way or with the seams this way get your finger inside here. He encourages to do finger pressure. Um, he taught, taught us dry spitters, you know, where you didn't load the ball, but you didn't have your fingers on any seams. And, you know, some guys picked that up and the ball went down really well. Um, he taught you when you had a little scuff on the ball, how to make the ball move. Like now when I see pitchers, as soon as the ball touches the ground, they take it out of the game, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, please!" You know, you, you know, because if the if the scuff's on one side and you hold it, the ball ball will go, you know, 
go in that other direction. And, you know, whatever, like little things that give you an advantage to stay off of a hitter's barrel, which is all we were always trying to do and get outs. Well, you brought up a point with you when you were talking about emulating Steve Carlton with bringing the hands over the head and how some of the athleticism is being removed from pitching. How does something like that, um, obviously it's extra movement, but can you, can you expound upon that a little bit? Because you, remember, you're talking to a hitter here because I don't, I don't yeah, fully I, understand it. You know, I mean, to me, watching him and, and Jim Palmer and Tom Seaver, and like I would try to copy all those guys. Uh, I'm old enough that I actually saw Sandy Koufax pitch. And, you know, uh, one time an older scout saw me strike out a bunch of guys, a New York guy who had seen Koufax. He goes, this guy's like a young Koufax. And I was like, what a compliment for me as a young pitcher before I hurt my arm. But I, you know, uh, I, you know, I was a pretty good athlete. I played football and basketball and other sports. So um, I, I, I timed it up by doing it over and over again. I would go over and throw against the wall for hours at the, at the local uh, elementary school where I grew up at and just try to emulate him. And I had a strike zone up on the wall with chalk and I would try to throw the ball in the strike zone all day long. And, and, you know, that's, that's how we taught ourselves. Um, I, and, and, you know, now that I'm, you know, been in the game my whole life, I understood, you know, how important balance rhythm and timing, but when you break down Carlton's delivery and Seaver's delivery, you know, they had balance, rhythm, and timing, and, and it all worked for them where they were able to always, you know, when their foot landed, have their hand in the right place to throw the ball where they wanted to throw it. Yeah. And, they, they, and that was the bottom line. Yeah. They, you know, they talk about, and I, I guess we would all agree that the athletes today are, you know, visually anyway, are bigger, stronger athletes but right. they're, they're minimizing things like in pitching, like you guys, both you and Mark talked about, you know, they, they bring it down. Everybody does a little sidestep now. Nobody brings the hands over the right. head. Um, that seems, again, thinking from a hitter's perspective, I may be wrong, that seems kind of counterintuitive to the type of athlete. You'd think you'd want to um, expound upon that athleticism a little bit more by adding the hands yeah. over the head, the higher – and I don't know, I'm just kind of asking out loud. No, you know, uh, the, the one of the things you don't see a ton of is in the windup the the old toe tap, you know, which created rhythm. Like guys like Ferguson Jenkins, who Ed Randall had on, I would listen to last weekend, and he was talking. And you, you know, Mark, and you know, you you can expound because you know you've been around even longer than me. But growing up, you know, there were so many different deliveries. The the Mickey Loliches of the world. Um, but you know, there, there was that toe tap, there was that rhythm, there was that flow to everything they did, the Gibson delivery, the Drysdale, um, you know, Rick Ruschel, who people would look at, he was heavy and overweight, but what a great pitcher he was because he did all those things, right? Yeah. The, the, you know, you see those guys, especially real big guys like Ruschel, you can see how athletic they are. Yeah. Because, you know, we talk about balance, rhythm, timing. They have it you're carrying a lot of weight around. You yeah. know, that's that's even extra athleticism. Yeah. And I know I I I coached I got coached by early win, and he was kind of a big 
chunky guy, burly guy. Yeah. And, and he, he, he told me one spring they had him lose weight. He said, they had me running a rubber suit out in the outfield every day saying I need to lose weight. He said, I couldn't get anybody out. He said, I lost the weight. I couldn't give it because his balance had gotten varied because he was used to carrying that weight with him. He says, I gained the weight back and I was back to being a Hall of Fame class. You know who, you know, I always thought that happened to as a hitter was Pablo Sandoval. You remember how good of a young hitter he was when he was heavy? Yeah. And then he lost all that weight and he never hit again. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, for lack of a play on words, there's a balance to it. You, yeah. you have to get used to carrying the weight you you have. You know, yeah. it's and it'll even Gary, I'll laugh, you'll laugh, but if you have shoes that are heavier or your glove is heavier than what you're used to doing, yeah. it throws you off, man. Yeah. Yeah. I traded gloves in spring training one time with one of my teammates because he he got two brand new gloves and I had two brand new for my contract. We swapped. I pitched my first spring training game with that new glove, and my whole left side was killing me because it was way heavier than my glove. Right, right. You know, you know. It's funny how different things will affect your balance and stuff. You know, you, well, that was you, uh, rolling. I had a Rawlings contract, and I got. They used to give you those those kangaroo hide heavy leather bottom. That's what mine. I, I, that's what happened with. Uh, you know, I think it was McGregor was making them, and yeah. my buddy had had a kangaroo McGregor, and it weighed at least twice as much as my Rawlings glove did. Well, that was uh, um, Mike Flanagan gave me a pair of his Adidas, and it was like I, it was like I lost thirty pounds on my feet. You know, you know, like uh, from those those rolling spikes that I was wearing uh, that were in my contract, and luckily, you know, the the rep said it was okay not to wear the spikes, but I had to use the glove. You know, that was the one thing. That's funny. Yeah. The, um, it's interesting, you know, um, you know, there's another subject, you know, that kind of blends to this and that's, and I've ran into it when you got young pitchers and you're trying to teach them something new, maintaining what they do well, but you have to make some adjustments and, and you want them to use it in a game without worrying about the result. Right. But still with the intent to get outs. You know? Right. So like if you're teaching somebody a changeup, you've got to force them to use it more, maybe even set up a scenario on counts that you'd like to have them use it in. So him and the right. catcher are on the same page. And even though the guy's never really throwing any, um, he needs to throw it with the intent to get an out. Um, and if they hit it hard, then you you learn how the adjustments you've got to make, maybe speed wise or whatever, um, to make it work better. You know, and I've got a quote for that that one too um, from Nolan Ryan. He says, "Enjoying success requires the ability to adapt. Only by being open to change, <laughs> you will have the opportunity to get the most out of your talent." Right. So I, even you know, a guy like Nolan Ryan, he had to learn a lot of things, you know? No, you know, and there were a lot of things that, that um, I know, you know, when, when, when I first got hired as a coach that, that you highlighted in handbooks and things for our guys. And, you know, one of the things was self-evaluation. You know, you need to look at yourself and realize what you do have to get better on, at. And then one of the things I was taught, and I always thought it was good, 
in teaching, you know, when you're, you know, when you build trust with your pitchers and you talk to them that, Hey, you know, we might go a step backwards here to go forward. And, and that always made so much sense to me because that was taught to me that, you know, you got to fix this to go forward and it's going to feel uncomfortable, but in the long run, you're going to go much, you know, that two steps back is going to take you five steps forward and you need to work through it and still continue to compete and try to win games and do all the things, but you got to try it. You can't try it once and go, this doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do it, which is what I think a lot of people do now. They don't have the patience to take the step backwards, fix it, and then really move forward. Well, you know, another thing that short circuits that is, is everybody has to be on the same page. Right. You know, you got a manager that all he wants to do is win. And he's yelling from the dugout, you know, to throw your best pitch in a certain situation. Right. When you know a changeup's a really good learning point, you know, the manager, the catcher, the rest of the staff, they all need to know what the goal is on this guy improving. Right. And and if you have people pulling in different directions, players get pulled in different directions. You know what happens all the time? You know, just throw a strike. You know, you hear the manager do the fastball. Well, he's he's basically saying throw a fastball because I think you have better command of that than anything else. No. Whereas the guy might learn to use the changeup or a breaking ball behind in the count in that situation, which he's going to need to be able to do. Well, no, so I, the I, agenda I, of staff members is important too. I, I got a great example that I signed a kid out of a high school that got to the big leagues uh, when I was with the Marlins. And he's a big, strong right-handed pitcher, touched 96, 97. The ball had really good carry. Had a little feel for a changeup, but his breaking ball was a weak link for him. He was kind of caught between a curveball and a slider, um, but he moved quickly through the minor leagues as a closer. And, you know, he would give up a, a run in, in a close situation with his breaking ball, and he would be told, well, you can't get beat with your second best pitch. So now, you know, this was when he was in double A and I'm going, he ends up getting called up to the big leagues in his first outing. Now he's facing Sammy Sosa down in pro player stadium and he's got to throw a two and one breaking ball to Sosa. And at that point, he's got a below average breaking ball that he actually got around it even more because he was trying to throw the crap out of it. And he gives up a, you know, three run homer to Sosa because because he was never challenged to and told, well, you can't get beat with your second best pitch. You can't get beat. No, you, sometimes it's never going to get better un, unless you fix it. You know, we had Jerry DePoto on, and I think Jerry and I shared the story the night I finally got him to use his changeup, and he beat the Mets double-A team. And in the last inning, Jeremy Burnett's grounded into a double play on a 3-1 changeup that he never would have thrown. And he gave me a look when I called it from the dugout. Like, he goes, what the hell are you calling that for? And then it worked. But it was it was a, a learning moment for him to get him over the hump, that that pitch works. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, 
you know, it's a balance. You know, I can teach a guy a great changeup on the side, but if he doesn't use it in a game, he'll never right. have confidence in it. Right. You know, that's why I used to do the drills where, you know, the hitting coach may have a guy that's having trouble when guys are changing speeds on him. I'd get them to hit batting practice and I had my pitcher throw and he would throw just fastballs and changeups and not tell him what was coming. Right. And yeah. all of a sudden the pitcher's going, you got to be kidding. He can't hit anything now. Yeah, because yeah. because I I throw a changeup, he's way out in front. He tries to wait back. Then my fastball beats him, and all I'm doing is just mixing up randomly during batting practice. Yeah. That's the first step in seeing how hitters react before you put it into a game. But but you have to do it in a game to get the full value and awareness right. of how you how it's used. Is this Why generation of player more fragile than the one we just passed? Um, well, we've talked about this. A million times how everybody's told everything to do. So we're asking them to do stuff that they're totally uncomfortable doing. You know, usually they're told to do stuff that they kind of like to do. Um, Not learning much and maybe not using the right circumstance, but they're told everything to do. So, you know, any pitcher, you know, it's funny because I put these these uh, quotes by by some of these these things we're going to address today, and they're all by people who make decisions. You know, Nolan Ryan made decisions. You know, Greg Maddox made decisions. They they made decisions on their own. They weren't told everything to do. No, and we right. need to get back to teaching you guys how to make decisions themselves. Yeah, be your own be your own best coach. I, you know, uh, you know, you talked about the the. The, the batting practice situation, that was my aha moment as an 18-year-old after leading the Appalachian Leagues and walks, wild pitches, and hit batters. I went to instructional league, and I, Ray Miller sat behind me on a bucket, and I threw BP to Eddie Murray, Richie Dower, and John Lowenstein, I think it was. They were all going to winter ball. And he said, you're just going to throw strikes here and you're going to tell them which pitches are coming. And honestly, goodness, they didn't hit me at all. And, you know, they didn't want to hit against me, but it was good exercise for them. But the exercise it gave me to go, oh, my gosh, these guys are really good. And I was telling them what was coming and they didn't hit me hard. I don't have to overthrow anymore. And I went out my first start in instructional league. I think I went five innings, one hit, and had ten strikeouts. And 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 it was like the aha moment of my life to say that you don't have to throw every pitch as hard as you can. You don't have to try to strike out every hitter as he walks into the box. You just throw strikes and make pitches. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it, it's just. You get that awareness when you learn it, you don't forget it. And it makes you a better player. Right. Um, you know, another thing that leads to it is is a lot of guys, hell, I, I was privy to this. I did this. You know, you come up with good routines and drills that really work for you. And uh, you learn new ones and you adapt and yeah. and you improve on some of the drills you, you've learned that made you good. And then you come back the next year and you forget about the drills or forget about a routine or something that you used to use. Right. That made you good. You know, um, you know, it's important <coughs> to focus on the process and not the result. 
You know, it's very important to understand that good routines that you're getting something out of that really help you, you can't forget. That's why it's a routine. You got to continue to do it. Now you may improve on it, but you got to keep doing it. Um, give us a game day routine, Mark, and, and Will. What, what's a, give us an example of a maintenance routine than a game day routine, maybe. I used to, well, I tell you, I used to get my my arm, We, I used to get my arm stretched um, in the trainer's room. I used to go out before I threw, um, before I started the game, my warm-ups, I would do a stretching routine. I would use my glove. I'd do some exercises using my glove as a weight with my shoulder, uh, hanging my glove on my arm uh, down uh, with the the glove as a weight and and spinning it in two directions and doing some other exercises. Then I had a certain amount of sprints I would do um, at different speeds. Um, I would do all these things before I ever got to the mound. Yeah. And I would do them every time I started a game. I did it like throughout my entire career. That was one thing that I never did differently. How about you? Um, you know, for me, I, I, I used to like to, to get to the ballpark pretty early and get a little sweat going and go out and shag a little bit during BP. You know, now the pitchers don't even shag on the days they're not pitching, but I, you know, it, it got the blood flowing. It got me engaged with my teammates. Um, you know, saw the other team, you know, maybe watch them take a little bit of BP, uh, go in. I would always like to run and, and get a sweat going and um, work a little bit flat ground with uh, feel, like touch and feel stuff, you know, two seam fastball. Uh, my knuckle curve, uh, my changeup, my slider, all my little pitches, you know, just flat ground just to start getting a feel and then get on the mound and try to start executing and be ready to go out and pitch, you know, when you throw your last pitch. Yeah, that was a – yeah, I forgot to mention that then, then I did my long toss uh, before I got on the mound. And when I got to the mound, I had a routine too uh, – you know, with my fastball, where I threw my fastball. Yeah. Um, and I would I would have to hit around the glove or I wouldn't move on. And yeah. I would move the I would move my fastball, then I would go to I'd go to my actually I would go to my breaking ball second. And there, my thinking was if I got my breaking balls loosening all the rest of the my arm, my forearm, my wrist, it's in different angles in my fastball. That way I'd have my arm speed when I went to my changeup. Everything would be loose in my arm from throwing fastballs and breaking balls. So now I'd have my arm speed up when I go to my changeup. One so, of, go uh, ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, and uh, I always wanted to go to my glove side because it, I was always in the right mindset and still am feel that if you go glove side and can stay behind the ball and keep it straight, that means you're on time, you're in balance, you're online. You're doing a lot of things right, uh, starting with your fastball there. Because arm side's usually the easiest to get to. It's the glove side where guys end up making the most mistakes. Why is that? No. Go ahead. Well, you know, for, for, for me, um, 
they forget that you get it there by staying in control, staying closed, getting your hand out, as opposed to opening up, just, you know, trying to get it there with your body, you get it there with your hands and staying in control. You know, it's funny that you said that because when I was a pitching coach for the, in AAA, for the Orioles, Ray Miller was the major league pitching coach. So, you know, when you're the AAA pitching coach, you go and help out in spring training and major league spring training. And, and I remember him always having that, that routine. He said, listen, he'd tell the young guys, start with your fastball glove side. So you get the extension first. And it was funny because I said, I said, real, I, I said, uh, uh, Ray, do you, do you, uh, I said, let me, let me tell you what I used to do and ask me if I was wrong. And I said, my sinker was my main fastball. And I said, so I always started off glove side, but then as I got into my career and I knowing my, I had to establish my sinker that I started off with my sinker first because I felt like that was my focal point. That was the easiest place for me to throw strikes. And then I would, I would know how to adjust back to the other side of the mound, other side of the plate with four seamers. And uh, he thought for a minute, I'm saying, he goes, you know, that might make some sense on guys that throw or two seam guys. And I said, yeah, the only reason I did it because I used to always do it the way you taught it. But I said, I started throwing two seamers. It was my main fastball. Then I felt like I was able to adjust easier and more properly uh, starting in in my strength and being able to adjust from there. You know, it's funny because I evolved after my arm injury. I was a four seam guy basically only because, you know, coming out of high school, I think on the old ray gun, I topped out at 96. So which is pretty good, was pretty good velocity. And I, my four seam fastball had that carry and ride up and I had a good knuckle curve and a change up. So I would get a lot of swing and miss and I didn't have to throw a two seamer. But then when I tore my rotator cuff, I sure as hell had to learn a two seamer, but I still had to be able to go inside with my four seamer and I had to learn how to even cut it a little bit because, you know, you just don't have the same stuff, but, uh, as I got older, um, the two-seamer became much more important to me, not being a hard thrower, going down and throwing 83, 84 miles per hour at that point. So You know, one other routine, which a lot of pitchers don't do anymore, and I think it's the new training techniques, or maybe they found out something through science, but it worked for me. And that was, I used to ice my arm down after I pitched. Oh, yeah. It started off with a ice wrap on my shoulder and my elbow was in a bucket of, in, a, yep. in a big tub of ice. And it progressed where they put ice on my shoulder and on my elbow, you know, just yeah. wrapped it on there for about 20 minutes after yep. after my start. And, you know, I go to big league clubhouses and guys don't even ice. And I'm like going, really? I said, I used to do that to keep from the buildup of lactic acid. I was throwing early in my career, about half my career, I threw a four day rotation. Then we went to five. I wanted to minimize the soreness to where I could get a good, decent workout in, in between starts. And And then the other, I don't know. These guys don't even do it. No. And then the other thing was uh, a really heavy day of running to get the blood 
flowing and get the lactic acid and the bleeding and everything else moving out that was in there. You know, those were, you know, those were just, and, you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe they say it doesn't work, but again, when we look at the numbers, we're, we're going to, uh, tell the hard truths that they're lying to us. If <laughs> they're saying that, well, you that know, I, I would, I've said this before in other broadcasts, I'd love to have an organization go old school, not do away with analytics and stuff, use that as a, a supplement, but go back to the, the pitching coaches running the pitchers, uh, running foul poles, icing after deal, um, not do any lifting above the shoulders. Um, doing stuff that was more old school when we seemed to have less injuries. You know, I, I uh, long toss. Um, there's so many things you could incorporate it, but you'd have to have the general manager and owner sign off from the get go because it, 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 there's too many, too many glitches in the system to be able to do it. Now there's too many opinions. There's too many people that have been given power to determine what somebody does either, you know, through training, through, through, uh, uh, conditioning, through, uh, pitch choice. There's just too many, um, uh, influences in those areas to be able to put it into play a more of an old school season. Now, okay. I'm the next thing subject is, is I wish I would uh, understand even more than I did. And I was a pretty much of a control pitcher. I didn't walk very many guys and I, I commanded the strike zone pretty well, but I wished I would have known even more about commanded it in and out of the strike zone. And for sure the value of a change up early in my career. Those are, those are things that I think would have been really important if I would have er learned it earlier. Um, I got a quote from Greg Maddox on this one. It's a good one. The reason I think I'm a good pitcher is I locate my fastball and I change speeds, period. That's what you do to pitch. That's what pitchers do to win games. And that's my belief. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in Greg Maddox. I think the stuff that he did was phenomenal. I don't think people even understand some of the things he did that no other Hall of Fame pitcher did. Um and, you know, people always go, oh, yeah, and he's an outlier because he didn't throw real hard. Well, he threw pretty hard when he first signed, but he learned really quick um, that, uh, you know, other things were more important. So, yeah, no, as a kid on the gun now, he would have been a mid 90s guy. You know, uh, I worked with Scotty Reed, who signed him with the Cubs. And Scotty, you know, Scotty said he threw hard. You know, he, he had a really good arm. But as, as he, he said he was always a really smart kid who, as he evolved, he realized that throwing hard didn't get people out. <laughs> he said he got hit harder in high school than he did in the majors. Yeah, right. Because guys would yeah. swing at everything. In his yeah. Well, he said, you know, he said that I was fortunate to learn at a young age that movement and location were way more important than velocity. I mean, that those are, those are the quotes he – I mean, that's what makes so much sense, and that's what – you know, guys that are caught up in, in velocity, they don't believe that. No. They believe you have to throw hard. Right. And 
it's so strange that it wasn't that long ago that Greg Maddox was pitching and they think the game has changed so much that he wouldn't be successful. Now he'd be more successful. It'd be easier for him because, because he had such unbelievable command. He would have these big swingers, uh, those big donkeys are going for home runs. Every, he would have them spinning. Oh. He would be embarrassing to those guys. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, I think I sent it to you, Dave, and maybe you too, Mark. In 21,000 batters, he went 3-0 and on 123 batters in his whole life. Yeah, he did. I, uh, you, know, you know, that's a normal night now in the big leagues, 123 3-0 counts. I saw one of those two live when he was on that. When he had the uh, scoreless inning yeah. streak. And... Um, or no, the the streak without walking a guy, right? And uh, I saw he got the three zero and then battled back on it. But so that I mean, it seems so logical. We're in the era of the one track swing that, with all the science and math being thrown out there with baseball, why somebody in the room wouldn't raise their hand and say, "Why don't we go against the grain here and get a guy that doesn't throw into that right. one track swing?" It seems like two guys in the middle of a ring just throwing you know haymakers at each other. Every single at bat. What what prevents a guy like what what prevents a club from creating a Maddox? Not like it's that easy. I know you can't just Frankenstein it up, but the same philosophy that you're talking about, starting to work in and out again. Starting there's, to- there, there, there's no value put on anything that he did. He might not even get drafted as he was at the last ten years of his career now. He was a six I mean- foot he was a six foot right hander that threw ninety miles per hour. They don't even draft them anymore. You know, he, the thing is, is that he's those, the way those guys get developed, honestly, is performance. Yeah. They perform so well, step to step, they get not signed. They go to A ball, they dominate. They're pitcher of the year in double A, pitcher of the year in triple A. They finally, people, well, we'll try them in the big leagues. And he'll go to the big leagues and he'll perform. And, and that's the only way guys like that have value now. Yeah. Is I they mean, almost was... have to do it themselves because there's too many people in their way that are trying to short circuit them by saying he doesn't throw hard enough. You know, that location doesn't mean anything. Um, uh, you know, his this isn't good enough. That's not good enough. You know, there's too many uh things put in their way and you got to be really mentally tough to be able to understand how good you are. Another thing is a lot of these guys are being signed. None of them have ever had a path of Greg Maddox as a young player. Nobody let them learn anything. So there's guys out there, but you got to identify those guys in pro ball and start working with their mind and, and getting them to understand things. And that's you know, what you have to do. Not everyone will get it because they're not growing up that way, but, but there'll be a guy occasionally to get it. You know, Kyle Hendricks with the Cubs comes to mind um, who in, in the modern era that that would be Maddox like and the success that he had. Um, but, you know, one of the other obstacles you always get is when the guy is the pitcher of the year in A-ball, they go, well, at the next level, he's not going to be successful. Right. Oh, yeah. So hard. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute. You've already got him failing, and he hasn't failed yet. 
And it, 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 it just angers me when I see kids that get released that never fail, but because somebody throws hard and they have a seven ERA every year and they got more money to sign, they keep getting opportunities and kids. That well, don't, don't, don't get me, don't get me wrong. It's always been that way <laughs> for velocity. Mm-hmm. Regardless, before analytics, before radar oh, yeah. guys. Oh no! If doubt. you went to spring training, and there's two guys, and one guy was really pretty dominant pitcher in AAA, and the other guy was pretty good in AAA, but he threw a lot harder. That guy got more opportunities than the guy performed. No doubt, no it was doubt. always that way. That's why you got to keep performing, and when they when they knock you down. You gotta, you gotta say no. I'll prove to you. I'll, pro- I'm gonna make it to where you have to give me an opportunity. Well, you know, uh, a guy that I played with and you coached with the Orioles probably may have not gotten the opportunity, but Mike Boddicker was that guy who he didn't throw hard, so Earl, Earl never bought in on him. He wasn't sure if he was going to be successful. But then they had a bunch of injuries and they had like four double headers in a 10 day span. And Boddicker had that really good year in triple A and they called him up for the double headers and he pitched his ass off. And the next thing you know, well, Earl, Earl liked them because now he's yeah, he was like 16 and four. Or something. Yeah. You know, now it's like, well, yeah, yeah, that stuff is going to play. You guys were right. But Early on, you know, like the stories, and you know too, Mark, because you coach with a lot of those guys. Earl was not a big Boddicker fan until they were pushed. Push came to shove, and they needed a body to go start and a bunch of double headers over that time span. And Mike took advantage of it and had a great career. Yeah, you know, of course, you know, Mike and I are close, and yeah. I coached him in trip. I played with him, I coached him, yeah. and then I coached him in the big leagues. And um, Mike. Mike had a, he was a phenomenal athlete. People didn't really know that. He was an all big 10 third baseman. Yep. Um, And he, uh, he was really athletic. He could create pitches. He, he was an experimenter going back to our earlier discussion. You know, he experimented on his own and he learned a lot of stuff and he learned that Fosh from uh, that left-hander at Boston. Yeah. Uh, What was his name? Hurst. Yeah, yeah, Bruce yeah. Hurst. Hurst. He learned it from him because they had the same agent, and he learned that Fosh kind of a split fingered change thing that bottom fell out of. Um, but but he was he was always a really good pitcher, and he was a performer. And I used to the last year I played, I played with him. Right. And I and I and I was a pretty decent pitcher in AAA for a lot of years, and I remember telling people I've never seen a guy never have a bad start. Yeah. He had a good start every start the year I played with him. Every start he was like 7 to 9 innings. He was he was unbelievable. I mean, he 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 never got hit hard, you know, and I used to say this guy's like the best pitcher I've ever seen. And he was yeah. a young guy at the time. He didn't get to the big leagues like 3 or 4 years later. Yeah, no. That was his first year in AAA. I was like this guy's not in the big leagues. So I'm coaching him in 83, the year they went to the World Series and won it. And like like Will had said earlier, they had all these doubleheaders, these problems. And, you know, back then the big league club used to come down and play a, a <coughs> like a demonstration game or whatever you call yeah, it. Exhibition. Um, with the AAA, an exhibition yeah. game with the AAA team. And 
And Hank Peters is general manager. He came with him and he called me over to the side and he goes, Mark, we got to call a guy up. You know, we're thinking about calling Boddicker up. And I said, you couldn't pick a better guy, Hank. And yeah. he goes, how would you use him? I said, any way you want. You want to start him, he'll be a good starter. If you want him to relieve, he'll be a good reliever. I said, Hank, this guy really can pitch. Yeah. And he said, okay. We're you know, telling, him was, after, I, telling him after the game. He never came back to the minor leagues after right. that. Game. No, I was with him when he had his, uh, I think it was a 20 strikeout game in double A in 79. Um and you talk about a sweeper. I mean, he was throwing breaking balls to right-handed hitters that were starting three feet behind their back, and they would land on, and they would end up right on the black. He could do so many things with his breaking ball. You know, uh, like him, him and David Cohn reminded me of each other as Cohn evolved later into, and he was a little bit behind. You know, they kind of pitched against each other, but Cohn was younger. But, you know, Cone used to be very creative and smart, just like Boddicker was. And, you know, it's funny, man. Boddicker used to warm up. He'd throw, um, I used to count the pitches for pitchers warming up. Yeah. He'd approach 100 pitches warming up. Right. Because he had so many different pitches. Oh, yeah. yeah. Different things he wanted to get tightened down before a game. He would do it. It was unbelievable. He had um, like three different looks off of his curveball. You know, and, and he got drafted the year after me, and we played together in instructional league, and we played together. And, you know, I was always marveled at how smart he was. And, uh, you know, he actually uh, – I got recruited by Iowa uh, where he went to college. And so, we, you know, he played with a bunch of guys that I knew from New Jersey. There was a connection out of Jersey. So we always hit it off. But he was such a smart – and good athlete. It was, it was pretty amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get him on the show. Yeah. That uh, would be he, awesome. He would be a phenomenal guy. Yeah. Um, I will tell one more thing about him. And this is, this is always stuck in my craw. I, I don't know if it still, it bothers him or not, but it bothers me in 1984. I got to believe he won. He was the only one that won 20 games and he won the ERA title. And he was fourth in the Cy Young Award win. Yeah. How can you win 20 games, win the ERA title, and not win the Cy Young, and be fourth? Right. You know, because the other guys struck out more guys than him. I mean, yeah. it was, it really, to this day, it bugs the hell out of me that that <laughs> happened to him. And they gave it to a reliever, uh, the guy from Detroit. Oh, uh, Willie, Willie Hernandez. He was MVP, Willie Hernandez. Too. He got MVP. MVP he, got he got all these things. Hey, don't get me wrong. He had a great year, and he pitched a lot of innings as a reliever. But I will tell you what, um, I did both. I was a reliever and a starter. And I'll tell you what, starting is way harder than relieving. I, I will go to war on that one. Right. You're facing less hitters. You know, you make pitches, you know, you could luck out of an inning, but you can't luck out of seven to nine innings. No, no. You know, and when you're a Cy, Cal a Cy Young caliber pitcher, you, you know, that just doesn't happen. That's a lot of work. Right. That's a, you're facing the, the lineup three times. You're, you're facing the best guys in the world three times where well, you might face them once as a reliever. I mean, 
I could have an argument with any writer that would vote a reliever in ahead of a starter as a Cy Young award. Where that's just ridiculous. You got the Fireman of Year award. That's a award for them. You know, they shouldn't be in the same word as a starter. Well, guys, we've been on, on going for almost an hour right now. We gave the audience a ton to chew on. What kind of parting shots you want to leave them with? Well, for me, know yourself. Understand what you're really good at. Understand that some people may undervalue what you can do, but if you know it works and you get people out with it, continue to do it until somebody proves you it's, it doesn't work. You have to be able to command the ball and throw strikes because you'll never know if your stuff's good enough unless you're putting it over the plate and seeing how the hitter reacts. That's right. like that. How about you, Will? Yeah, you know, be your own best coach. Uh, continue to work day in and day out. Uh, develop a feel uh, for all of your pitches and commanding the ball so that you become a con- – you, you know, to me, all of those things lead you to become confident. And when you're confident, you have the ability to execute and do things right because you know you've done the work to be successful. Yeah. And I do want to get to number seven on our next show, whether uh, if we have a guest, I wouldn't mind getting their take on it because it's a great point that we touched a little bit on in each of the topics about getting content with performance. And, you know, I think one of our biggest issues nowadays with kids there's so much social media hype and they're so fragile that as long as we get them the ring and the banner and the win, they forget about the mistakes. And I always believe don't accept in victory, which you would not accept in defeat if you win and you do well. This, you still got to improve on the same stuff you would have had to do if you lost. And right. um, I want to get your guys' take on that next show. But with that, two two twenty one, a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Audience, you get a preview of what our pre pre show is like, and our post show, and all our text messages throughout the week with these two baseball treasures talking back and forth. Not just their individual minds, but collectively, they're they're uh, they're fun, uh, and it's it's genuine and it's real. So, guys, I appreciate what you do for the show and. To our audience, we'll hit over 20,000 by the end of the day. Subscribers, thanks for your support. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. That helps us keep giving you great content every week like we do here on A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. And with that, episode 221 is in the books. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thanks.